Hello and welcome to Quarter Time Podcast. I'm Lucy G. And I'm Lucy P. And we're here to bring you all the netball goodness you never knew you needed. Welcome to the first ever episode of Quarter Time, a brand new podcast covering all things netball, including the Vitality Netball Super League. We're so excited to be joining you and giving you all the up-to-date info you need on all things netball in the UK and beyond. So Lucy G, what have we got coming up on the show today? Today is such an exciting one. Uh, We're going to start off looking at our ones to watch for the league. We're going to then move on to looking at our top four picks, a real juicy one. And to finish off, we have a super special interview with an absolute netball legend. It's the one and only Tamsin Greenway. So with the Super League starting imminently, we've chosen our ones to watch. We've picked three players each, an attacker, a midi and a defender, who we think will really raise the bar this season and give their opposition something to think about. So Lucy P, who have you got first for your defender? Okay, so following on from the Vitality Netball Legends series, where I thought this particular player was just absolutely outstanding, I've gone for Razia Kwashi as my defender to watch. I really feel like she's just peaking at exactly the right time this season Um, with Commonwealth Games just around the corner she's got a lot to prove um, you know demonstrating to Jess Thurlby that she's ready to be selected in that squad and I just thought she was fantastic in the recent series and also her partnership with Joe Tripp has been really improving so she's got everything for me fantastic elevation, fantastic timing, anticipation, and she just reads the game so well. So I can't wait to see what she puts out there this season. Yeah, I 100% agree. She had an outstanding run out in the Netball Legends series. And there was a time when I was a little bit worried about whether she would actually come into her own on the international stage. But as she started to get more and more international court time, she's really grabbed that opportunity with both hands. And I personally would be really surprised if she wasn't selected within that Com Games squad. The game against Jamaica in the Netball Nation series that we had, was that last year now, I think? Yeah. I was slightly concerned about her then, but the way that she has stood up in the Legend series and the series that we had out in New Zealand, she has made me so confident in her ability and the future of the England Netball defensive circle. So my pick might be a bit of a surprise for some people, but I've gone with Alice Harvey. Now, she's not the biggest name in netball and she's only 19 years old. makes me feel so old. But she has really shone during pre-season so far uh, for Loughborough Lightning. The way that she gets around the body and the way she hassles the shooters, she's a real hassler, it's just so impressive. And she was particularly good in the pre-season game against Rhinos. She was just coming out of absolutely everywhere and um, really made their life difficult. I totally agree with you on her. When I saw the Rise Again Festival, I just remember being like, who is this kid coming out of nowhere? And (laughs) yeah, really, really loved her performances in that one especially. And I really hope she gets a lot more court time at Lightning this season. It will be fantastic to see her kind of have a real breakout season, especially at such a young age. Uh, She's got huge potential and yeah, a lot more to give, I think. 
So Lucy P, moving on to the middies, who have you got? So this was quite a tough one for me to pick. And I think it's because we've got so many spicy midquarters in the league, especially this year in particular. I've gone for Amy Carter. I think Mm. she is super underrated as a player. And since that series, oh, it was the Nations Cup again, uh, where Mm. she had a real standout for England. And I think in the position that she's in now at Thunder, she's coming into more of that senior player role. So even though she's still on the young side, she's now in the midcourt with Laura Malcolm and Caroline O'Hanlon. And we've seen that typically Laura Malcolm has been put at wing attack a lot. So that Mm. opens up that wing defense position for Amy to really own. I think she's similar to Alice Harvey. She's a real hassler. She's a tagger. She gets up and in under people's feet. And it's fantastic to watch her out on court. I think she's got a really good future ahead and really particularly excited to see her combination with Laura Malcolm and Caroline O'Hanlon in the midcourt. Yeah, I think that's the most exciting thing for me is that trio. That's going to be a formidable midcourt. And um, yeah, everyone else better watch out because they're going to be a tough one to defeat. Who have you picked for your midi then? So following on from the Legend series, you just can't look past Liana Leota. She 100% took it to another level. She was just phenomenal. And she was rightly named the fans player of the series. You know, every touch of the ball was just golden. I'd watch her and think, how on earth are you physically able to to do all of this? It was just poetry in motion. Very, very impressive. Um, And don't forget, she's 36 years old. Mm. Not that that's old in life, but on the netball court, she is one of the older players within the league. But to play like that and to seriously rival the younger players in terms of her speed, her agility, her physicality, it's outstanding. I I just want more, more, more. Can't wait to watch her. Moving on to the shooters. Who have you got, Lucy P? I've gone for Jamaican import Giselle Allison, who has signed for Wasps this year. I think she is a really outstanding player and she just gives so much height in that goal attack position. But what I particularly liked about her in the Vitality Legends series was how she is just not afraid to shoot from anywhere. I mean, she seriously was putting them up from so close to the edge of the circle and absolutely sinking them all day long. Mm. She was a little inconsistent at times during the series, but I think with a bit more practice and once she starts to get familiar in the Wasps environment particularly, she'll really grow and develop and I just can't wait to see how she combines with Rachel Dunn because I mean that's just going to be amazing so yeah really excited to see her in the league and I think she has got a lot of potential as a really sneaky and difficult to play against goal attack. Yeah absolutely and as, as you touched on that partnership with Rachel Dunn Oh my goodness, that is going to be so exciting. I mean, what a disgustingly talented goal circle that is. That's ridiculous. (laughs) And Lucy G, who have you got for your shooter then? So I have gone with Lefebvre Raderman. Now she really excites me because she burst onto the scene in the England-South Africa test series in 2019. And that was really the first time that we'd seen anything from her. So no one really knew what to expect. And I think it's it's fair to say that the England netball defenders didn't really have an answer for her in that first game. Uh, she sort of 
run rings around them really. And she played with such confidence, so fearlessly. And I think it was that moment that she caught the eye of a lot of coaches uh, around the world. And I actually called it, I think I put it out on Twitter actually. As soon as I saw that, I thought she's going to get picked up for Vitality Netball Super League. Guaranteed, 100%, mark my words. And I'm absolutely delighted that Pulse have picked her up. I think when you pair her with Ziggy Berger, Mm. it's going to be a good one. And what great things for South Africa as well and for their development to have those two working together regularly in the circle, building those connections. It's, It's only going to be good things for them. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I'm very excited to see that combination. She's a real tricksy player as well. Very kind of crafty, unexpected and not bad at shooting either. So, you know, she's got the whole package. (laughs) So moving on to our top four picks, Lucy P, who are you going with? Okay, so I have gone, my first pick is Team Bath. I Mm. think with the lineup that they've got this year, with all of those players returning, Leila Gusketh, Ebony, Serena, you just can't imagine that they won't be in the top four. I actually think they'll win it this year. I'm (gasps) calling it. Oh, calling it early. Just look at their lineup and it's just amazing international player, amazing international player, amazing international (laughs) player. And their talent that they've been bringing up, the likes of Summer Artman, all of those girls coming through are also up to that really high standard. And Bath have just set themselves up for a really good season this year. Secondly, I've gone for Manchester Thunder. I think they are such a quality side. They've got a wealth of amazing talented players and obviously they did it in 2019 so they've got the confidence that they can go all the way and win the title again I think under the tutelage of Karen Gregg they are such a strong club and they just have this real passion and drive that I don't think you could even tell them that they weren't going to be in the top four (laughs) because they wouldn't believe you so Uh, I've definitely gone for Manchester Thunder, who I think will be up there. I'd love to see a Thunder Bath final, to be honest with you. I think that would be pretty cool. Oh, spicy, spicy stuff. (laughs) Uh, My third pick is London Pulse. I think this team have got everything that you need, all the components, a really exciting defence, a strong and uh, tactical midcourt, and then an absolute powerhouse in the shooting end in Ziggy Berger. So all the ingredients are there. And I think we saw the glimpses of it at the start of last season, that they've got the power to really punish teams and be a bit more ruthless. So after the disaster of 2019, I think <laughs> that they have really turned things around and could be in with a chance of making it into top four. And finally, my last pick is Wasps. I'm sure it won't surprise you given what we've just talked about uh, with Rachel Dunn and Giselle Allison combining there. Once you put in people like Fran Williams, all of those guys into the mix mm. as well, you just see the talent that Wasps have. Even though they've lost people like Jade Clark, Mm. I think that they can make up for it because they are a gritty team and they have a team that majority of them have been there for quite a few years. So they've got that experience together as well that they can fall back on. So yeah, really looking forward to seeing those guys. And that's my pick for the Super League. So Lucy G, who have you gone for with your top four picks? So there's a few similarities between yours and mine. And I think that's that's a given looking at the strength of the two teams in question. Uh, my first pick again would be Bath. 
like you say, they are just absolutely stacked with incredible talent. Um, And similarly to Thunder, I just don't see that there's any way that they will allow themselves to not be in the top four. They're just such an impressive outfit. And like you say, they dominated the first few games of 2020, the ones that we were allowed to have. And yeah, I don't see there being any other result other than a, a top four finish for them. Um, and touched on already, you know, Manchester Thunder, like you say, they they won in 2019. You look at the players that they've got, every third of the court has at least one absolute powerhouse. And I agree, I don't think they will let themselves not have a top four position. My next one differs to yours. I've gone with Mavericks. There's part of me, I don't know what it is. I'm I'm really willing for Mavs to make it into the top four um, as they sort of narrowly missed out in 2019. And I don't think that they'll make those same mistakes. There were some games in 2019 that they really should have won. If you look at it on paper, they absolutely should have won and they didn't. And it was those mistakes and inconsistencies which, which cost them a top four position. So I think they would have learned their lesson. They have lost the amazing George Fisher, but to replace her with South African international in Marie Venter, that's not a bad sub. Um, so I reckon, yeah, I reckon there'll be a top four finish. And then my last one, this was so difficult. I was, I was torn between Pulse and Rhinos and Lightning, but I have gone with Lightning. I think they're a little bit underrated or they, they sort of go under the radar a little bit and they don't have that many sort of big showy I suppose what you call superstar names but they they are really consistent they are strong throughout every third and I just reckon they're just going to get their heads down and just get the job done and uh, I really rate Sarah Bayman as well as a coach and I, I think she knows how to bring the best out of her players and with up up and coming stars like Alice Harvey you know I, I think it's going to be good things for them. Coming up next, we'll be chatting to Tamsin Greenway about the use of technology, data and performance analysis within netball and how we can use this to develop and grow the sport. So we're now joined by our very special guest, an absolute legend and fan favourite of the game, Tamsin Greenway. Thank you so much for joining us, Tamsin. That's not a problem. Thank you for having me. So we really loved your analysis on Instagram after the Vitality Legends series, and it got us thinking about the wider use of data, technology, and performance analysis within netball, and how this can kind of be used to really develop and grow the sport forwards. So to kick us off, could you tell us a bit about the current level of technology use and data analysis within the Super League? Well, it's really weird because I think netball is one of those um, sports that in sort of the pro element of the game, there's lots going on, but I don't think it's fully filtered out across all sort of into sort of grassroots netball yet. And I, I still think analysis, even at top levels in its real infancy in, in netball, just because it's it's probably only been sort of the latter part of my career that I we were really using it. Um, it was always sort of there and thereabouts at the start of my career, but it was not sort of used to the same sort of intent it is now. Mm. Um, in Super League across the board all the teams are using um, a program um, and most teams are on a, a program called Huddle 
Um, and so it's a really good analysis tool. We use it in Scotland as well. And basically you can code all the games and with coding, you can code whatever. You can find out whatever information you want and watch the game back. And um, one of the big things for me, and I, something I started at Sorry Storm was to, to look at live coding as well. So not only can you code after the game, but you can live code as you go along. Um, and so you can actually start to get real life stats coming down to the bench um, being given to you as, as the game's happening. Um, but I think the key at the moment is almost understanding what stats you want, why, what do they mean, how do you use them? And that's when I, I mean it's in its infancy. It's really easy after the game to analyse, which which is what I love doing. Is, you know, you can sit and talk all day about what happened, why it happened and look back at it. But I think the the real part now and um, where all teams are starting to get to grips with is how they sort of use it during live matches. Yeah, so this this actually perfectly takes us on to our next question. And when I was doing some research for this, I came across this quote that said, you cannot win today's game tomorrow. So although I absolutely appreciate there is definitely a place for post-match analysis within netball, sort of touching on the idea of, as you say, live analysis, like during the game in quarter time and half time, we'll often see a coach on the sideline with a whiteboard and a pen trying to go through specific gameplay. And I read uh, sort of a few psychology studies and there's a lot of evidence that shows humans are much more likely to apply any learning when given the immediate opportunity to correct it rather than repeating those errors uh, until feedback is delivered after the fact. So is there, you know, you sort of touched on it already, but is there room for this in netball to really embrace and incorporate technology as, as part of game analysis and coaching via, like you say, instant video replay? Like, what are the limits for netball? Well, I think that's the whole point. It, it is limit. Well, I say it's limitless. If you look, if you look in the cross into any sports, like um, at WASP, we, we worked very closely with the WASP rugby team when I first arrived and we sort of met all the team you know, they had sort of six analysts working together. Mm-hmm. In netball at the moment, it's not a full-time role as such. Um, like many of the jobs, so you're sort of getting um, student analysts who come in who are brilliant, but in terms of the time that they can give to the game and almost how much they can work with you. So um, I, I remember working with a, with a great guy at, at England um, who's been working with Loughborough. And I used to say to him, you know, at what point could you start making decisions for me? At what point could you be in my ear going, that's the fourth error in the row. I actually don't think she can switch, change it because I don't think she can do this again. This kind of style of opposition, put someone else on the court. Mm-hmm. One of the big things that I do as a coach is, is even before live analysis is the preparation. And I think you mm-hmm. touched on it. It's so easy to talk after the game about why you won or why you lost. Um, what I think is key is going prep into the game where analysis has been used really well, you know, understanding the style of a game, understanding a certain player, breaking down what they need to do, getting the team prepared, knowing what's going to happen. But then the beauty of that is have you done enough to be able to adjust through that game as well? Can you help them then go through it? And I think one of the things, and I think we're learning this across the board and even how netball's shown, you don't get the same amount of time lapses and sort of breaks as like a longer, more open sport get. So Mm. uh, with amount, you know, rugby or football, the amount of dead ball there is from free kicks Mm. or ball going off or players rolling around on the floor, that kind of thing. (laughs) We don't have that in netball. Even in basketball, it's slower for the approach. A lot of the time, quick breaks happen, but, you know, the build-up slower. And I don't know if you remember when netball first used to get shown on TV, you would literally just you'd watch a goal go in and then they'd show a replay of the shooter. And you're like, no, 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 there's going to be 60 of those. You don't need to keep showing me the shooter. And then you missed the centre pass. And the centre pass was actually the analysis part. And I think the game ebbs and flows so quickly. There's so many changes of momentum in 15 minutes that actually trying to work out the pockets of live analysis and what 
what the important bits are to give a player one bit of feedback is still very much where I'm going, wow, this is so untouched. But how do your team take it on board? How do you deliver that information? What is the one key thing that's going to make a difference between going out in that first quarter to the second quarter? And then obviously as the game goes on. So, and I think netball at the moment as well as getting overloaded with data. So it's a lot's happening in fitness and strength and conditioning. And that's starting to filter into sort of game analysis as well. But for me, it's about taking the little pockets, the little gem of analysis that's actually going to make a difference to what's going on on the court. So touching on other sports, as we mentioned, in codes like football and basketball, there's a huge amount of data that's collected and incorporated into player recruitment, both subjective information from like scouts or agents and objective measures from data like shooting percentages, etc. And clubs will use this to help them with their decision making in respect to their playing philosophy or their playing style of the club and the club's player development strategy. So is this something that netball currently does or or potentially should be doing to use data to become more strategic in recruitment? So it's definitely nothing that I've come across yet. Whether that's not going on overseas, I don't know, because they have a lot more old data than we do. And they've probably been a bit more ahead of the times in terms of especially their league stuff, their league format. Um, so if you follow the Suncorp or if you follow ANZ, you can always back up the stats. You can find information they'll have player of the week they you know they have their little um you know team of the week how it's with all the points and, and all that comes from different values of your feeding your attempts at goal whatever, whatever it is your intercepts so England is definitely playing catch up in that and that is stats across the board and we're not just talking about game stats uh so for example I think Rachel Dunn got her 200 super league cap I think it was mm-hmm. last season, season before something like that and I remember people speaking to her dad who kept all the programs of all the games to try and I think he was oh. the one that triggered it to say you know she's going to get 200 caps and we didn't even have those in memories you know we should have been if you if you play overseas you get your 50th cap it's everywhere it's this player's 50th game or you know even as a coach I never had like a win loss ratio which I'd, I'd love to know what it was and um, whereas when you're talking about football you, you'd speak about a, a manager and you'd be going well you know you'd know his percentage you know what that looks like so I think England are definitely playing catch up we're, we're certainly getting the data now but it's a massive job and it's what I said before it's it's almost like where does that you know it's, it's a huge funding part as well to go into analysis to move it on to the next level I love analysis as you know I still I think there's lots to be taken from data and I think it'd be really interesting to start looking at at some of those stats and how it builds up up the player I think it's got a place in selection but it shouldn't be the be all and end all because the reality is um I talk a lot about cultures and how people fit in and it's what I said before data is only important if you can apply it to what's going on so you can for example I used to go out uh for one coach I'd be playing for a team and the aim was to get 85 percent of center passes to goal and if we did that we'd win well, shock horror as a wing attack. I wasn't standing on the line thinking, oh, if I hit this one, we'll be at 85%. <laughs> like, you just don't think like that. So as a standalone stat, absolutely fine. But what does that mean? What does that mean when I play this team to play that team? What does it mean about what I need to do technically and tactically to, to make sure that that happens and LinkedIn? So uh, I'd love to start to start as to grow that side of the game, but I definitely don't think it should ever take over because it should just be part of the much bigger picture. Yeah. And, you know, there's no stat that can tell you what a player's personality is like, how easy they are to work with, how receptive they are to feedback. So, yeah, absolutely agree. There's there's a sort of a time and place for it, I suppose. 
So continuing on with the theme of the different uses of data and analysis within sport, in 2017, Bolton Wanderers Football Club conducted some research into the effects of scoring first in a match. And the research showed that 86% of teams that score first don't lose the game. So not only can we use data, tech and analysis to look at player performance and recruitment, but there's also a huge impact on coaching and using it to predict trends and influence coaching choices and mentality. Do you think this would be useful in in netball to provide us with some more in-depth analysis about you know, coming back from a deficit or the importance of the championship quarter, et cetera? I think, I think again, it, it depends how you use it. I, I think things like, um, well, actually, I'd be really intrigued to see some of those patterns to see whether they happen in netball. I think, I think we talk about this winning, this match winning quarter being the third quarter. So, you know, what, what data do we take from that? Is it, um, is it a certain amount of changes? Is it an impact change that makes a difference to that? Or is it, or is it just purely tactical? Is it if you're only within a certain amount of score that that makes a difference going into that match-winning quarter? I think, I think again with netball, it's it's in a very different place to lots of sports because how quickly you score and how quickly it goes from end to end, and that you always get the ball back. Whereas you know football again, it's it's an amount of times I've watched nil-nil games. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's a different kind of. Um, I guess if you take the lead, you've always got that bumper a little bit more, but I'm not, I'm not sure that happens in netball. However, I reckon there'd be data around specific teams with mentally how you do stuff. So for example, whether you're a team that's better to be out in front and pushing on to the lead or whether you're a team that's better catching up and, and come clawing back at teams. Um, I think there'd definitely be stuff about the swings in quarters. Um, and like I say, why that match winning third quarter is, is so, is so crucial teams often believe if you have a good start it sets the tone but I think the beauty in netball is that you can always kind of catch up mm. you know 10 goals really at elite level at the minute isn't is nothing so what almost what data is it what score lines you need to get to that you turn over a team and is, is that totally different is one team five goals and they give up is one team 10 goals mm. does one team have to be 20 when you're never going to get there so I think you could probably perhaps look at it individually rather than across the board but again that sort of level I, I haven't even started to look at yet. I'd start to look at whether teams start slowly or, or sort mm. of who are key players and what are they kind of doing and, and almost what they might change coming into a third quarter. But I definitely haven't looked at it as, as at that kind of yeah, stage yet. How many years off do you think we are to get into that level? I don't think it's necessarily the timing. It's more the people. So there's a there's a netball guru who we call like the Yoda of netball, the Oracle we call him Todd Miller. He's um, <laughs> he's based in New Zealand at the moment, but um, I see him. He was working for us at World Cup with Sky, and the guy's a genius. Right, he has every single netball stat. I was going on a on a radio show, and I needed a stat about Maria um, Falau, and I was like, how many goals has she scored, in, in um, and how many attempts across a whole Silver Ferns career? And I thought he won't know that. It came back to me and like 10 seconds something like wow. 3087 yeah so but there again they've got those kind of statistics that they're, they're around so I don't think it's necessarily yeah how far away we are from it it's about have we got the people on board that are going to pull together a all the historic stats and moving forward how are we going to get them where are we going to keep them and how they're going to be utilized because you know, the teams are now collecting it individually on their huddle stuff. But like I said, unless you have a full-time analyst, 
Mm. Um, for example, when I started at Surrey Storm, a lot of the games I used to analyse myself. So it'd be clipped for me and then I would go through it. And I, I was taught how to clip it myself. So if I needed it done that night because I couldn't sleep, I'd do it myself. And I think, you know, we've definitely moved on from that. But until you get those full-time people in place that are working with you daily through training sessions and through matches, um, I think that's where we're going to struggle. Yeah, because it was, when I was doing my research, I think it's AFL. And I was looking at like a an example setup of uh, like the behind the scenes structure and they've got, uh, it blew my mind. They've got a stoppage coach, stoppage analyst, forwards coach, forwards analyst, <laughs> a, a backs coach, backs analyst, mid and strategy coach, and then roving analyst slash coach, and then a senior coach. And it just absolutely blew my mind that, yeah. you know, we're, we're not even close to, to being at that level. But then again, also, do we need to, to have to that extent? Do we need that? Well, I think there's a couple of things with it. I've always, I've always said this. So the interesting thing for netball for me is that when you become a coach, you're you're just the coach. You're the coach for everybody. You're expected to be able to deliver sessions for kids at a club all the way through to your senior first team, as well do a bit of social netball on the side. Even when you get to the elite level, you're expected to be able to go across the board. And actually, what I think is quite interesting for netball is it still could start to discover your strengths as a coach. So where do you best fit? One of the big things... I, I think at the minute is, you know, if we are, if we want our pathways, um, you know, how much support are we giving to our coaches and our pathways to actually, a lot of it again is sort of minimal pay or volunteer base and stuff like that. And actually that, that's our bread and butter, isn't it? Don't we want to produce the breast pay? It's like, how are we supporting these coaches? Um, and there's some amazing coaches that I've worked out there that are, are working with the kids that, you know, imagine them having analysts and, and mm. support and all the bits and bobs that they need. And it's starting to change a little bit, but I think that fit was all the way through to the top as well, understanding your strengths as a coach. So I'm very analytical, but I'd probably need, I actually prefer coaching defence than I do coaching attack because as an attacking player, I'm almost like, I don't understand why you can't do it. Whereas defence, because <laughs> I have to work at it, it, it comes to me more naturally to coach defence than it does for attack. So it's it's almost understanding your your strengths with that as well. Um, and again, I think the game is so untouched. We're now starting to get more coaches on the bench and a lot of teams will sort of say, well, they're dealing with the shooters and they're dealing with that. But realistically, how many teams have regular three people going to training sessions, groups properly splitting up every single week? Well, it was unheard of for me at, at Storm and Wasps. I would be surprised if all of the teams are doing that regularly because they just don't have enough time together. Mm. Um, there'll definitely be some people tweaking and having sort of a specialist shooting, a specialist this, but it won't be happening enough because again, a lot of the Super League teams are just not full-time. Mm. So they get the team in together for two hours, the coach goes and delivers. And until you start breaking that down, I think again, you're going to struggle. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. I could listen to you talk all day. It's amazing. So going back to football again, as another example, they have so much data on their leagues that they're able to use this to analyse the league's identity. For example, does one league have more physicality than another? Does one display greater discipline than another? Would this be useful in netball? Like you hear people talking about how SSN is a step up in physicality, how the styles of umpiring differ overseas. Would having this as statistical data be of use to netball and how could we use that to our benefit? I think um, for our benefit in particular would be bridging the gap. You know, the reality is that the Sun Cup is still the best. Super Netball is still the best league in the world. 
I I actually really like the fact that ANZ have got their own league back because I think it's given New Zealand their identity back in their style of play. So I think there's a couple of ways in terms of England and international teams using it, you could start to build a real picture of how other teams play. One of the big advantages to England over the last five or six years is that we've got to play against Australia and New Zealand more than we ever did. So mm-hmm. when I first started playing, you perhaps play against them once in the year and that was it having those double headers and those quad series and proper game time against them and putting all that stuff into the calendar was um credit to, to england netball because it needed to happen and it's changed the game completely and the players going out to play in there and understanding that style i think if, uh, the big difference it could make to the rest of the world is huge those teams that don't get the opportunities against the top opposition mm-hmm. um until it comes to a world cup or a commonwealth game so i think the data that they could use but again only if it could be filtered into their programs properly. And when you look at some of the, the world nations, you know, how how they have to go and survive and actually train to come into competitions. I mean, I mean, I look at it from England to Scot from Australia to England to Scotland to to then like a Malawi. I mean the differences in those stepping stones for all those teams are huge. Mm. So I think we there's lots we could learn. There's lots that could help the rest of the world. Um I think it'd be quite intriguing just to see, just to mm. see those things. But I don't think there'd be much surprises at the moment. But I'd love to see how we could use that data to definitely upskill our teams, our players, our coaches and start bridging that gap. Yeah, amazing. Is there more, in your opinion, that can be done in terms of using technology for fan engagement purposes, like providing more stats uh, over and above the sort of not basic, but over and above, you know, how many intercepts, how many deflections to help fans understand the game using data, you know, like uh, heat mapping technology or footprint mapping. So you can see where a particular position has gone in court. Um, Is there more that we can do for fan engagement? It's really interesting, actually, because when um, all the work we do with Sky, and I think they've been a game changer in what they're trying to provide, like, they've massively aided me with doing the analysis and I think World Cup with with another step up in terms of what we were providing and what we were trying to do but there can be so much more that can happen and I and I think I think there's a couple of things with that again at the moment like I watched the rugby there's an hour build up towards the game so there's loads of chat there's loads of information you can do and there's, there's loads of cool things there's match of the day have highlights you know after the game they'll have an hour's chat about a game so you you can get loads in there netball still again at its infancy in terms of the time we have to do stuff but i think where the stats help will help the fan base before during and after is this painting a picture of what happened so your basic stats your shooting percentages your attempts your this your inception whatever but what story what was the talking point of that game what actually happened who was the player that caused all those issues in defence, who was the player that opened up the game in the attack with the feeding, where were the feeding areas from, was it a tactical thing, was it a technical thing? I think there's so much more we can explore in that. Again, that's just going to take time with how, you know, we always laugh at Sky, it shoots by like that, we could talk for hours about those different <laughs> things. Um, so I, my sort of niche always into the analysis, and let's hope what I'm trying to provide at the moment is that talking point, is that story. You know, with all the madness that's going on, what is the one key thing that I think has made a difference in this game? And I think that's definitely where we can go to help fans because I think you then engage with the players a bit more as well, stuff that you haven't even all recognised, and it starts debates. I don't expect you to always agree with the stuff that we're providing, but you back it up with the data and then you make a decision on it. 
Um, you know, has that player intercepted 10, 10 balls because she's been world-class today or is a goal attack completely off the game, not fit enough, not going in the right areas, not tactically giving the information? Is the feed to them been absolutely appalling because this player can't pass off this side of the court? It's all that kind of nitty-gritty that then starts an open debate. And I think the more we talk, the more engagement we get, um, the bigger the sport will grow. Amazing. And so last one from me. If you could pick one thing that any other sport does that involves technology or analysis and bring it over to netball, what would it be? (laughs) Oh my God, there's too many things. What would it be? Uh, I think it would have to be sort of the live, live analytical data, the sort of down to the bench Mm. on the ball feeding back stuff like I, I remember we even tried it in a game and the internet connection was so poor because we we're playing in basically a, a hall you couldn't get <laughs> the stuff that you wanted I know and and that's kind of that was a couple of seats well back when I was at Storm so a few seasons ago but it's just stuff like that I think that live interaction and I'd love to work with a team a football or rugby team that are doing that kind of stuff I I, I think New Zealand uh, the Ferns did some of that stuff I don't know whether they're still doing it but yeah I'd love to know kind of that sort of nitty gritty but week in week out and and actually the bits that matter yeah I think that would be the part that I'd really want to explore but then I'd want to find a sport that is similar to netball so it'd be quite intriguing to see how how other sports are doing it is it basketball then sorry I've been really quiet this whole time just listening to your guys's conversation it's really fascinating but is it basketball is our cousin basically I'm not sure because because basketball is quite set play it's quite you know, this they have sort of their set idea of what they're going to do. And um, I, I, I like watching NBA. Any NBA fans are going to be like, oh, my God, you can't talk about it like that. But I, I think it, um, I don't know the nitty gritty of it, but I, I think the game's a lot slower in terms mm. of how it builds and what it does. So, yeah, it's more about this sort of impact, you know, goal for goal game where what is the bit, what's the bit that's going to break the opposition? And I think it's trying to pick out stats almost that you work with the team already. So, you know, whether it be error rate, whether it be feeding, whether it be uh, attempts at goal, where shooters are doing. So great example of this. 2014, sorry, Storm, playing Manchester Thunder in the grand final. We were winning by about six going into the last quarter, ended up losing the game. Helen Housby scores that winning shot, made a career, whatever. It was amazing for them. <laughs> um, but really interesting after the game, I think it was... Uh, what was her name? I can't think now, but their shooter had hardly put up any shots. Helen was taking the load of it. And we had a really young, sorry, Storm, Kate Holland, Kate Hughes. She was only about 19 at the time. Um, and Hannah Reed was playing at the back. And because I was on the court and involved in it all and still quite young in my coaching career, I couldn't, I, I hadn't seen that. I was just getting on with the game. They were scoring, we were scoring, you know, it was what we were winning all the way through. If someone had just given me that stat, that Helen was the main shooter, that she was doing the workload, I would have looked at that completely differently. Mm. And even like stuff like that as nuggets going into the game, which is what I do now, but obviously back in my early career, it, it just hadn't, it hadn't been used to shoot a goal attack. I hadn't thought of that as being a key thing when actually for that team, it was really key. And so it's things like that, little nuggets. Would that have made the difference in the final quarter going into it? Who knows? But that is the kind of nugget I'm talking about that, perhaps you don't see until after the game mm, what could have been it's fascinating no, we've won, we won a few after that so it wasn't too bad <laughs> yeah you haven't done badly I don't think you can really be like oh 
no, missed that one. <laughs> so I, I think I think I'll I'll let Helen have a moment. She went on to great things, so we're okay. So before we let you go, Tamsin, we'd really love to hear who are your ones to watch this season. Lucy and I both picked a, a defender, midi, and an attacker that we really are excited to see coming up in this season. Who are your picks? Well, who are yours first? No, that's a, that's oh, cheating. Nah. <laughs> right. um, so attacker-wise, I'm really interested in Danelle Wallum at Rhinos, purely because when you build a team, my, always when I've gone to a new team, Shooter has been the key. Who do I take? Usually Rachel Dunn. So <laughs> if it's, um, sadly, she's not Scottish. If it's now, um, I've heard loads about her, but I actually don't know anything about her. If that mm. sounds, sounds ridiculous, but I heard that she absolutely smashed it against Courtney Bruce, which is why she got her name for herself and blah, 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 blah. So I'm actually really intrigued to see how she fits into the league. Defender, there's quite a few defenders I'm excited about, but I I don't necessarily think it's the, ne- the right fit for Storm, but Koanga um, from um, Zimbabwe, I loved her. And I don't mean that, I think the right fit, it's just, I, I'm not sure how her style yet is going to come in. She's such a flair, like culture-wise, she's going to be brilliant, like that buzz she brings. And I really hope that can filter through into the Super League. It's mm. it's sometimes hard to do when you come over to a new country and you're playing a new style and whatever. So I want to see how she fits into that team, how Mickey gets her, her operating, because I think she could be so exciting. And then mid-quarter, mid-quarter's tough, because obviously Maddie Brown, sadly now not coming over. Yeah. Liana was brilliant in the Legend series, but my little up and coming, I don't, she's not little, I'm not really up and coming, but my one that I think is going to end up being world class is Adine Thomas from mm. I think Jamaica are crying out for a wing attack, someone like Adine who can lead the game, who can control it. She reminds me of Liana in lots of different ways, how she uses the body, how she releases ball. Um, and I think a full season for her in actually a quality team, I think Pulse will push teams this year. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see how she keeps going on because I love wing attack and I think she she's my next one that's got a lot of flair and could do a lot for the game. Amazing. Actually, do you know what's so weird? We all said different players. Yeah. So the fact that we've got 12 that, you know, that all of us are saying, yeah, this is going to be the one to watch. How good is it going to be this year? I mean, there's so many. And that's what I'm saying. Like, for me, if you're talking about defence, individual defenders like Kawanga, that's why I'm excited. Whether she's the best fit for Storm, who knows? But like someone like Raz Koshi from Mavericks with Joe Tripp is going to be mm. so exciting. There's yeah. so many when you start going through. But that's why I just want to see what she can actually do, whether she can come into this game. Because again, for international netball, how amazing is it having her over and the sort of the exposure for her taking that back when she goes home as well and plays internationally. Um, yeah, 100%. Absolutely. I can't wait to see her as well. And so who do you, uh, who are you tipping for your top four? We're going to put you on the oh, spot. Right. Well, I actually, I was asked the other day and I said Bath Thunder final. Not that That's I want the same as me. I said that yeah, as well. Not that I me. want a Bath Thunder final. No, <laughs> I'm still a wasp through and through. But yeah, I think at defence we need championships. If Bath aren't in the final, there's a problem there because that, that team, their full strength lineup, I mean, it, it should be ridiculous, especially that defence end and your defence pulls you through when you need to. So mm-hmm. I think they'll be in there. Uh, the other two, I think Loughborough Wasps, Mavs, it'll be one of it, but it will also depend on, on teams making it through the season and having a fully fit side and all the rest of it because it's been such a disjointed 
build up. So I think I think there's five in there, um, and we'll see who makes it in the end. Yeah, that's that's essentially the same conclusion that we came to. We we really struggled to get those last two. We both agreed that it'll probably be a, a Bath Thunder final. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just it just speaks to the quality of the league about how it's improving yeah. year on year that actually you, you've got teams really competing to get into that top four now. And there's definitely teams that could sneak in there. You have to look at Pulse's start and it'll all depend as well on who they're drawn against in the first few rounds because yeah. you saw Pulse last year, they got into a little run. I know there's only three games, but you start getting momentum and getting confidence through your team. And once you become, you know, stars, taking a scalp off wasps, things like that matter. So it depends, you know, who gets that early sort of comfortableness. I think Wasp will be there and thereabouts because they've got so much experience and when you've got Rach done. But yeah, Loughborough with Cholok, I mean, she just gets better every year. Mavericks, mm. again, their defence end is just insane. So Amazing. Well, I'm, I'm very conscious that we've gone over half an hour, so we will let you go. Massive, massive thank you for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure um, a real delight to speak to you and tap into your netball knowledge. So, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. No problem. Thank you for having me. I will talk all day about analysis, so it's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Quarter Time Podcast. Make sure you're following us on social media at Quarter Time Pod to stay in the loop about upcoming episodes. See you next week. <laughs>